This is an interesting story in 2 Kings chapter 6. And we really need to read from 24 right through to 2 Kings chapter 7 and verse 20. But it's too long, but we'll go through it and I will tell you the story as we go through it. We had the story some time ago about uh, the king of Syria uh, attacking Samaria. He was worried that everything he thought about uh, he, the, the king of Israel seemed to know about it and he said there was a spy in the camp do you remember the story and they said no there isn't a spy in the camp there's a prophet over there and God tells him everything that's going to happen even, everything even that you do in your bedroom he says he knows about it and they, they sent an army over to, to get Elisha and they surrounded the, the town and the, God blinded the army do you remember and Elisha led them to where he said Elisha was and he brought them right into the middle of Samaria and uh, the king of Israel says now we've got him we'll kill him and he says no no feed them and send them home and uh, gave them back their eyesight God gave them back their eyesight well after that none of the marauding parties came into the land so the bands of Syria came no more into the land of Israel but after a while, obviously, that wore off the, the good humour that had happened. As a result of that, they're still retaining a grudge against Israel. And he was not at all softened, the king, by that humane treatment which his forces had met. And when, when the bands of Israel had when, when he'd been sent back by Elisha from Samaria... And finding then he couldn't do this in the secret way by sending bands in to try and get Elisha, he sent a force in and it ambushed Samaria. He attacked Israel and ambushed their capital. The main name of the king was Ben-Hadad, the son of Hadad. The original Hadad was incidentally a son of Ishmael. But this was a king, Ben-Hadad. Samaria was the capital of the northern kingdom. The kingdom of Israel had been divided into two. After Solomon had died, you remember, Jeroboam and Rehoboam and Rehoboam came, kept one part of the kingdom and Jeroboam, the northern ten tribes, went with him. And most of the kings in the northern kingdom did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the king who was then reigning in the northern kingdom was a man called Jehoram and he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. We read that so often when they mention the name of a king they say he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. Now the poor fellow didn't have much of a chance probably because his father was Ahab and his mother was Jezebel. So he just followed on. He wasn't as bad strangely enough he wasn't as bad as them because he destroyed the idols of Baal but he didn't go far enough and that's what we were saying earlier on about the standard we have he had a standard but it wasn't a good enough standard he only did certain things to reform but he still strayed away from the Lord and if you look back in Second Kings chapter 3 you'll see that it said 
he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father and like his mother, for he put away the image of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he cleaved unto the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which made Israel to sin, and he departed not from them. So the king of Israel at this time was also a king which did evil in the sight of the Lord. But nevertheless, Israel had sinned and God allowed this king of Syria to come and attack them. And he surrounded Samaria and they sat it out. There was a siege and there was a terrible famine as a result. The famine was terrible. And if you look on it says that Anas's head was being sold at an exorbitant price and the people were even reduced to eating bird dung to try and get some nourishment. The, the, the dung of doves was being eaten and sold. Can you imagine how the situation? They were eating asses' heads. Now, Israelites were not allowed to eat donkeys. It was an unclean animal. But yet the situation was so bad here that they had reverted to eating and there couldn't have been much eating on a donkey's head, mind you. Years ago, you used to get pig's cheeks and things. I don't know. Funny, when I go up to London and go into the seas East End Markets, they still sell pig's trotters and pig's cheeks and all this kind of stuff. You don't see them for sale down this part of the world much. But they're still for sale in parts of Britain. But an ass's head was being sold for an exorbitant price. And one day, the king went out to survey his troops, maybe. He walked along the wall. Maybe he was looking to see if the army was still surrounding them. Maybe he was checking to see whether his, his sentries were, were still on guard or not. And he went and walked along the wall. And as the king of Israel was passing by upon the wall, a woman cried out to him and said, Lord, help us. Help us. <laughs> he said, how do, you, how do you want me to help you? He said, do you want me to go and get some food out of the barn? Or do you want me to get some wine out of the wine press? There was nothing. There was nothing in the town. The man realized that there was nothing. How could he help this woman? He gave a very curt reply. And then he says, what's your trouble? And she came out with a terrible story. He says, this, this woman said unto me, Give thy son that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. And so we boiled my son and did eat him, and I said unto her, on the next day, give thy son that we may eat him. And she hath hid her son. Cannibalism was taking place within Samaria. And the, you know the strange thing about it. In Leviticus, God said that if you disobey me, if you go against my laws, if ye will not hearken unto me, but walk contrary to me, then I will walk contrary to you. In fury. God warned the Israelites that this would happen. And even I will chastise you seven times for your sins, and ye shall eat the flesh of your sons, and the flesh of your daughters shall ye eat. He says this is going to happen. If you go away from me, then you will go worse and worse and get worse and worse into sin deeper into sin. And that's what happens. When we go away from God, 
You see, people who, who start off... I remember reading a book. I don't know anybody ever read a book. Eric or Little by Little. Well, a well-read person here. One. Eric or Little by Little. Eric started off. It's one of these Victorian moral books. And it was about this boy, Eric, who, who started off as quite a good guy. And slowly, little by little, he got worse and worse. Until he became quite an evil sort of fellow. Eric, our little, that's the way. We don't suddenly, very few people suddenly become really wicked. It's, it's a gradual. We said this about sheep, didn't we? Sheep straying away. We very seldom see a sheep in a field and suddenly taking off. Uh, Mary's brother would know more about this than, than, than we would. But you very seldom see a sheep just suddenly taking off and straight out the, over, the, over the fence. It wanders and wanders and wanders and gets to the gate or it gets to the, the, the fence and then it sees something over the, and it pushes through the hedge into the next field. Wandering is a, is a gradual process usually with people. God said, this is what's going to happen. If you go away from my word, you will end up cannibals. Strange, isn't it? That And Deuteronomy, I must read this passage out of Deuteronomy because it's so, it's so apt. Deuteronomy chapter 28. And this, this was written years before, years before this event. But God was saying, this is what's going to happen. And you read, read a few verses here, but we'll just look at uh, from verse 53 in chapter 28 of Deuteronomy. And thou shalt eat the fruit of thine own body, the flesh of thy sons and of thy daughters, which the Lord thy God hath given thee in the siege and in the straightness wherewith thine enemies shall distress thee. So that the man that is tender among you and very delicate, his eyes shall be evil toward his brother and toward his wife, the wife of his bosom, and toward the remnant of his children, which he shall leave so that he will not give to any of them of the flesh of his children whom he shall eat because he hath nothing left him in the siege and in the straightness wherewith thine enemies shall distress thee in all thy gates the tender and delicate woman among you which would not adventure to set the sole of her foot upon the ground or a delicate sort of nice person for delicateness and tenderness her eyes shall be evil towards the husband of her bosom, and towards her son, and toward her daughter, and toward her young one that cometh from out from between her feet, and toward her children which she shall bear, for she shall eat them for want of all things secretly in the siege and straightness, wherewith the enemy shall distress thee in thy gates. And if thou wilt not observe to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, that thou mayest fear this glorious and fearful name, the Lord thy God. God said this was going to happen. They were going to go from bad to worse. And here was an example of it happening. And the king, when he heard this, he rent his clothes. He, it, it really got to him. And people realized when he rent his, the end of his clothes that he was wearing sackcloth underneath. He, you see, he felt, he felt for the people. He felt anguish and distress. But yet he didn't turn to God. That's the strange thing. He only felt sorry for them. That's all. And we go on. He goes back to his palace. 
And he was thinking about this. And you know what he did? He said in verse 31, God do so and more to me also. If the head of Elisha shall stand upon him this day. What did he do? He blamed the prophet of God. He blamed God. Israel had strayed away from God. He did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. We read in verse in chapter 3. But when something happens. He blames God. And he blames the servant of God. And you know you hear that every day. Don't you? When there's something happens. People say wouldn't you think God. If he's a God of love wouldn't allow that to happen. Wouldn't you think. How does God. Why doesn't God. They never look. They're always blaming. They have to blame somebody. They never look at the, the people in the world who are living lives which are completely divorced from God. But they always blame God. A number of times you'll hear that. And so I'm going to take the head off that guy. Elisha's head is going to be removed from him today. And he says, if I don't do that, God can do something to me. And he sent a messenger to Elisha. And Elisha was hiding. No, he wasn't. Elisha was with the elders, it says. Uh, he, Elisha, in verse 32, he sat in his house. And he was with the elders. He was with those who were his disciples, those of his followers. And the followers of Jehovah. And you know, when trouble comes, and if we are in distress, we should... First of all, look to God, but we should also look to God's people. And have the company of God's people around us to help us through our difficulties. And that's what Elijah was there. He was there with his followers and with the followers of Jehovah. And we should be there too. And the, the king sent this servant. And God revealed to Elisha what was going to happen. And Elisha said to these chaps who were with him, The king's going to send somebody. Because he's, he's going to try and kill me. But when this guy comes, grab him and keep him here. Because the king will be following him on his heels. And sure enough, there's a knock on the door. And this fellow came to arrest Elisha. But they grabbed him and they kept him there. And soon the king arrived as well. And the shepherd, the, the, the king said... This evil is from the Lord. This evil in verse 33. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? We're not going to, we're going to cut this all, all this holy stuff out. He says this evil is here, it's from the Lord. And why should we bother with him anymore? And then an interesting thing, at the beginning of chapter uh, 7. Elisha has made a wonderful prophecy. Now things were looking terrible. People, as I said, were eating their own children, eating bird dung, eating asses' heads, and there were very few horses left or anything like that in the city. The situation was dire. And then he comes out, Elisha, with this prophecy. He said, about this time tomorrow, about this time tomorrow, he said, there's going to be a glut of flour. It's just going to be sold for a pittance. And fine barley. It's going to be. It's going to be just too much of it. 
who, who had been sent to arrest him. He was, he was lean, leaning on the king's arm. And he says, don't be ridiculous. <laughs> even if God, God couldn't even do that, he says. God opened the windows of heaven, that wouldn't even happen. Why? She said, you know, it's going to happen. But you won't enjoy it. Such an amazing thing to say. You know, in, in the circumstance when everything looked black, he said, there's, there's hope. And you know, when things look black for us, I have a friend, and I have to get this right, he, he says, God has given us wonderful opportunities, cunningly disguised as impossible situations. Do you get it? He's given us wonderful opportunities, but they're cunningly disguised as impossible situations. When things look bad, when things look hopeless, then we should pray that God will act in that situation and reveal himself to us in a very special way. And this is what Elisha was saying. He said, God is going, things look black now, but if you trust God, if you believe in God, it's going to be different. It's going to be an amazing thing is going to happen. This time tomorrow. And this fellow said, oh, kidding. Elijah says, yes, no I'm not. But you won't enjoy it. You won't enjoy it. So, we leave the story there for a minute. Outside the city walls, near the gate of the city, there were four lepers. Now these four lepers were sitting there and they were discussing the situation. They were hungry, they were starving, and they said, what are we going to do? We're going to die. Yes, he said, if we, if we sit here, we're going to die because we've no food. If we go into Samaria, they'll throw us out because they've no food. And the Syrian army's over there, and they're going to come and attack us and kill us. But they have food. Well, let's go over there and see if they'll give us some food. If they don't give us any food and they kill us, well, we're going to die in any case. So what's, what's the difference? We might as well go and see if they will give us some food. They might give us something to eat. So they discussed it amongst themselves and they decided on this course of action. That they, no point in staying here because they were going to die. Nobody was going to throw food out from Samaria to them. No point in going into the city because they had no food in there in any case. So let's go over and trust ourselves to the Syrian army. Death stared them in the face. They had nothing to lose. So they went over to the Syrian army. And they expected to be challenged by the sentries. And it was, it was coming towards evening. It was getting a little bit dark. And they, they went out and nobody challenged them. And they went into the first tent. There was nobody in it couldn't believe it there was food there was gold and silver and clothes all just lying around couldn't believe it so they did a very sensible thing I suppose they had a good feed and then they gathered up as much as they could and they brought it back and they hid it in one of the caves where they lived and then they went back again and they got to the next tent and the next one and they gathered up as much as they could and brought it back and hid it in the tent, in the cave. God 
God had intervened in these fellows' lives in a, in a wonderful way. And you know, it's a picture of man today. Leprosy in the Bible is always a picture of sin in our lives and sin in man's heart. And we are like those lepers outside the city there. Death, when we are living our lives here without God in our lives, without Christ in our lives, we're facing death. Death stares us in the face. The Bible says that we're born in sin and we're shaping in iniquity and we're dead in trespasses and sins. We're worse than these fellows. These fellows were, were alive. But the Bible says we are dead in sin. Death stared them in the face. Death stares us in the face. A life without God. An eternity without God. But God in Christ has intervened in this world. And that's what all the Christmas message was about. That this baby was born. That God came into this world. as a, And Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And he died. He came and he lived. And then he died for you and for me. God intervened. And God intervened in these lepers' lives. And they had life after that. They got food. And then the, the lepers begin to rejoice. And they were so pleased. That was a great decision they'd made. And if you accept Christ into your life today, it's a great decision. And then you want to tell other people about it. That's what they did. They decided they would tell other people. And you know, the reason I'm speaking about this this morning, you'll read this in the magazine. This man, Cyril Peters, wrote to me. And he wrote to me at Christmas. And he sent me uh, a Christmas message. And part of it is repeated in, in the magazine. And it was him mentioning this verse that reminded me about the story and why I'm repeating it this morning. So, here's what Cyril says. You'll read it as well, but I'll read it out to you. And she brought her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. The reminder of the birth of the Saviour of the world, the last time of this millennium, is at the threshold. The son. The sovereign Lord of the universe came down from heaven, emptied, humbled himself to be wrapped in swaddling clothes and be laid in a manger that was not his own. In order to lift the fallen man from the gutter of sin and to make him sit in heavenly places with him. I wonder how much have I emptied myself to make this good news known to a needy man. That's like what the lepers did. They wanted to make the good news known to a needy man. Hindus in India are angry and upset because Christians claim that Christ is the only way of salvation from sin. How can a true Christian say anything else? Fear of persecution is gripping the hearts of many in the ranks who counsel the soldiers of the cross to go slow. Don't push it. Don't, don't. Don't, don't emphasize this salvation thing too much. That's what they're saying. That's what's happening today. Here's what he says. How can we face him who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of God if we keep mum now? If we keep quiet now, how are we going to face God? 
Let us take heed to the warning. And this is what the lepers said to each other. Today is a day of good tidings. And we hold our peace. If we tarry till the morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Now therefore, come that we may go and tell. And that's what God is saying to you and to me. You have this message that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth and the life. He says, today is a day of good tidings and we hold our peace. If we tarry till the morning life, some mischief will come upon us now. Therefore, come that we may go and tell. As we busy ourselves, Cyril says, in exchanging Christmas greetings and gifts, let us not forget that there are still millions who have never heard the meaning of Christmas. Millions who have never heard the meaning of Christmas. And the story goes on. They went back. They went into the city. They told the guards to tell the king. The king again didn't believe it. He doubted. He was a doubter. And he he went through a charade of getting some horses and following. And you see, what had happened? Why was the camp emptied? A very simple thing. A very simple thing. God made the Syrian army hear a sound. That's all. That's all. They heard this sound and it sounded like an army approaching. And they thought the king of Israel has secretly gone to Egypt. Gone to the Hittites. And he's organized their armies to come and attack us. And the mass hysteria broke out. And they left everything. And ran back to their own country. That's all God did. That's all God had to do. A sound on the wind. And mass panic took place. This impossible situation. God used it. And turned it into a fantastic opportunity for food and clothing and everything else. But you know, the man who doubted, the king put him in charge. He says, you, you get things now organized. Oh, the king was going to organize something that God had already organized. And he says, your job is to control the people as they go out through the gate and make sure everything's done orderly. Oh, there was a swarm of people went out through the gate that just trampled them to death. He never, he never participated in the wonderful opportunity that because he doubted. Let us not be doubters in God's ability to do things. God can work wonderful things in your life. We read that, we said that verse again in, in Jeremiah. God has a plan, a wonderful purpose in your life. If you will yield, he said, if you seek me, you'll find me. If you seek me with all your heart. And then... God will work in your life and give you opportunities. Cyril Peter says there are millions who have not heard. There are millions also who have been led astray by by false doctrines and false religions. There are millions who will perish like the doubter if we don't speak out 
If we don't speak out the truth, time doesn't permit me to go on, but you know there was a, a meeting in Westminster this week where nine of the top religions in Britain all met together, including the Archbishop. And you know, he was meeting with people, Hindus. And this is what made me cross, and this is why I wrote that article in the magazine. Cyril Peters is out there trying to work with Hindus and trying to bring them into a knowledge of Jesus Christ to tell them that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. And back home, our religious leaders are meeting with the same people. These Hindus who believe in blood sacrifices. We have the meeting with Jains. I, I looked up to see what Jains believe. Jains don't even believe that God created the earth. They, they have a weird thing. They, says, they say there are two types of souls. There are an infinite number of souls. Worldly souls are not set free uh, from the bondage of karmas. And therefore they, they go from birth to death, from birth to death, from birth to death. That's what these guys believe. And he was written with the Baha'i religion. The Baha'i religion, who, who, if the soul fails to develop, one remains distant from God. This condition of remoteness from God can in some sense be understood as hell. Thus heaven and hell are regarded not as literal places, but descriptions of one's spiritual progress towards the light of God. And we're meeting with these fellows. And our missionaries are out trying to convert, trying to bring them to a knowledge of Jesus Christ, trying to keep to the standards of scripture, and our religious leaders back home are all meeting with these fellows and saying, it's a wonderful opportunity that the Muslims, they, they don't believe in God, they believe that Allah can't have a son, they don't believe in the, the, the Lord Jesus Christ and we're meeting with these fellows and saying it's a wonderful opportunity to, to He said, this event will, I believe, be seen in future generations as truly historic. Truly historic, certainly will be. And finally, two small things left. Ezekiel chapter 33. And this is one of the most solemn chapters in the whole of the Bible, probably. Ezekiel the prophet says, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of thy people, and say, When I bring the sword upon the land, if the people of the land take a man of the coast, and so on. But it goes on to say, Whoso heareth the sound of the trumpet, and taketh not warning, if the sword come and take him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. But if the watchman see the sword come, and blow not the trumpet, and the people be not warned, if the sword come and take any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but the blood of that person will I require at the watchman's hands. The watchman has to sound a sound sound with the trumpet. If the trumpet is not sounded clearly and plainly, Who's going to be blamed? The watchman is going to be blamed. The watchman is going to be blamed. God has set us as watchmen. And lastly, this is definitely finally, if you look at the last chapter of Hebrews, chapter 13, just a short thing here. 
writer to the Hebrews is talking about the sacrifices which were made for sin. And in the olden days when there was a sacrifice for sin, the body of the heifer or the animal was taken outside the camp of Israel and burned. And when Jesus Christ died upon the cross of Calvary, he was taken outside the town, outside the camp. And there he was crucified. And it, the sacrifice of the bullock for sin was a, an example of what was going to happen to the Lord Jesus. When they sacrificed the animal, they took the animal outside the camp of Israel and they sacrificed it for a sin offering. When Jesus Christ was to be sacrificed for you and for me, they took him outside the city walls and there they sacrificed him. And in a simple way, these lepers were outside the camp. And the people, in order to get the blessing of the food, they had to go outside the city. And this is the verse I just want to read. For the bodies of those beasts, the animals, whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin, are burned outside the camp. Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his blood, suffered outside the gate of Jerusalem. He says, let us therefore go to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. We have to go outside to where Jesus was crucified. There is a green hill far away outside a city wall where the dear Lord was crucified who died to save us all he died that we might be forgiven he died to make us good he died that we might go at last to heaven saved by his precious blood there was no other good enough to pay the price of sin he only could unlock the gate of heaven and let us in oh surely, surely has he loved and we must love him too and trust in his redeeming blood and then try his works.